0: In the name of Jesus, amen, please be seated. In today's gospel reading, Jesus tells one of his most famous parables, the parable of the prodigal son. Now a quick word about parables in general. Parables should not be confused with fables or fairy tales. We grew up on children's fables. And we think of them as those stories that teach moral lessons, like the boy who cried wolf. Fables do teach valuable lessons so that we might improve ourselves and that we would grow in character and wisdom. Uh, Since parables also use stories to teach lessons, we might easily confuse them with fables. So again, the general idea of fables and fairy tales is to teach us some kind of truth that will build character, that we'll use for ourselves to build ourselves up, to improve ourselves in wisdom and character, right? So we think about parables like fables. We're gonna be thinking about them wrongly because if you look for a way to improve yourself in parables, All you'll have is the law. So you will be able to find a way to improve yourself, but you'll have only the law. And you'll be missing the point of the parable, because you can't fulfill the law. If you could, Jesus didn't have to die. Jesus tells parables on the way to the cross, which means that he's telling parables not so that we can improve ourselves, or so that we can build character like in some kind of fable or fairy tale. But Jesus is on his way to die precisely because we're sinful. We're blinded in our sin and we are dead in our sin. We can do nothing but keep on sinning and die. We cannot improve or fix ourselves. So the point of parables is never to have us fix ourselves, but to show the kind of Savior that Jesus is, the kinds of sins he takes upon himself, and the kind of people that he dies for. Even more, the parables don't just tell us about that, but by the parables themselves, Jesus does the fixing. God's word is living and active, and as Jesus himself speaks his parables and has his word spoken to us, he's doing the fixing to us. He kills us with his law and turns us from any attempt to save ourselves so that he can be the one that does all of the saving. The parable in today's gospel presents us with two sons But it is the first son that gets the parable named after him and he gets all the attention. And frankly, it's a really long reading. So by the time you get to the second son, you might've stopped paying attention. But it's kind of the main goal. Jesus is actually building up to that second son. So you gotta gotta bear with him. The first son, as the parable begins, tells his dad to drop dead. Because he asked his dad for an inheritance. You don't get an inheritance unless the person who's giving it to you dies. So he's telling his dad to die. He then takes the money and blows it all in reckless, sinful living, doing the kinds of things that his own brother accused him of later. He is a worthless, selfish, and disgraceful son. He shames his whole family and makes himself unclean. His slavery to sin finally leaves him with nothing, for he is empty, unclean, full of guilt and shame. To put it simply, he was dead. And that's exactly how his father described him later. My son who was dead is alive. And so we see this son in death. In his death, he stopped running. He stopped kicking. And even though his heart might've been beating, He was dead. Grace only works on the dead. So that is finally where Jesus wants him and us, a dead son before the father, that is empty handed, fully at the mercy of dad. Nothing to point to in himself, but sin. Nothing in himself, but shame and guilt throwing himself at the feet of the Father for mercy. That's the kind of sinner Jesus saves, the empty-handed and dead kind. He took all the guilt and shame on himself, even more, Jesus became that sinner. Today's epistle puts it like this, for our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, in him we might become the righteousness of God. Jesus becomes the sinful dead son so that the prodigal sons can become alive and righteous. That's the kind of sin Jesus takes on himself, the worst kind. That's the kind of sinner Jesus dies for, the worst kind, the lost and dead kind. Now the father in the parable sees the son coming up the road and he goes running. The father tackles him with the greatest hug one can give and showers him with gifts of love and mercy. The fattened calf was sacrificed and the party begins, all mercy, all grace. For the son had been dead, and was made alive. This is partly why we begin our divine service and worship here. We begin with confession and absolution, confessing our slavery to sin, confessing our deadness, and confessing our wandering prodigalness. That our Lord would tackle us with his kindness and shower his mercy upon us. With sins given to Jesus and all his righteousness given to you, you stand before the face of God as one made clean. Cleansed and made holy in Jesus, you stand before God having been dead in sin and yet he calls you holy, forgiven, righteous, and alive eternally. But if your sin isn't so great, then neither is your Savior. If you have no sin, then you don't need a Savior. If you think you don't need saving, then you think you're alive when you are, in fact, dead. You'd be like the older son in the parable. Now, So far, this parable has been all about death. And right away, the younger son tells dad, dad, I wish you were dead. And then the son goes off and makes himself dead. Gives up everything, having a life of uncleanness and death. And then when he returns, his dad takes a fattened calf and kills it. All death at this point. And the only person who thinks he's alive, able to do anything, is the older son. This son would not see himself as dead, but as alive and kicking. Verse 29, look. These many years I have served you, and I never disobeyed your command. Yet you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours came who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fattened calf for him. I deserve what you gave to my brother so freely, since I'm not all that bad. I've been a pretty good son, and yet you've given me nothing." This is the greatest slavery of our sinful flesh. It's called self-justification, our attempts to justify ourselves before God. It's thinking we can stand before the face of God on our own. This is, by the way, the default position of our world and of our flesh. Everyone thinks they are basically good, and if you ask anyone, they'll tell you that if heaven exists, that they are surely going there. When people die, notice how everyone runs to say as much good about the person as possible, ultimately trying to find hope in the person's goodness. The world is full of older brothers, thinking they can stand before the face of God and claim to be good but nothing should cause greater fear than that. For to stand before God apart from Christ is to stand condemned. Not just for the world, but self-justification is a great slavery for you and me. It's so bad that we don't even realize it. Jesus, though, thinks it's a pretty big deal since he gives us today's parable to explicitly make this point to convict us of our older brotherness and to make us dead. Each of us is given over to self justification in different ways. We're the older brother when we use the law to judge others and to show how good and alive we are by comparison. We're the older brother when we covet the good received by others and complain that we deserve as much or better, why do they have it so good and me so bad? I deserve more. I deserve better, says the older brother in us. Sure, says the older brother, I know faith is all a gift, but really, I'm still in the faith today because I didn't let myself sin as much as those other condemned people. I tried a little harder. I repented a little more sincerely. I dedicated myself to God with a little more oomph. The faith of family is evident because I worked at this with my family. And if faith isn't evident in your family, then you didn't do the right stuff. You didn't follow the right program. You didn't try as hard as me, says the older brother. The older brother in us gives lip service to salvation being a gift, but at the end of the day, he thinks he has a hand in it for both himself and his children. Jesus will have none of that grace only works on the dead salvation is all gift which means we have nothing at all to do with it the dead do nothing but rot they must be made alive the lost cannot find themselves they must be found jesus gives us this parable to kill the older brother in us he wants us dead to ourselves so he can make us alive only in him. He only died for sinners, the lost and dead, that he would find us with his gospel and make what was dead alive and new. As we just sang in stanza four of our sermon hymn, be of good cheer for God's own son forgives all sins which you have done and justified by Jesus' blood, your baptism grants the highest good. Justified, declared righteous on account of Christ alone, nothing in yourself, no standing on your own before God, but standing only because of Christ. Justified by the blood of Christ alone, this is the joy of the gospel, to be found by the Lord of life, to be tackled in the hug of his mercy, clothed in his holy robes by baptism, and brought into the eternal party with his supper. You stand before the face of God, not on your own merits. But thanks be to God, you have been justified by the death of Jesus and are fully righteous in him. Your loving Father now sets you free to love and serve whoever he places in your path. In the name of Jesus, amen. We stand for prayer.